Welcome to our exchanges at Goldman Sachs Markets Update for Friday, August 21st. Each week, we check in with leaders across the firm to get their quick take on what they're watching and seeing in the markets. I'm Jake Seward, Global Head of Corporate Communications here at the firm, and I'm joined today by Michael Cassell, who's back on from our Global Markets Division. Welcome back to the program, Michael. Thanks for having me. So after the big crash in March, the S&P has rallied back and hit a record high this week, the fastest bear market recovery in history. What does it feel like on the trading floor or the virtual trading floor this week? I'd say it was fairly subdued, even for a, a virtual trading floor. It doesn't feel like a classic bull market atmosphere at the moment. And I guess there's still a lot of skeptics out there. It's the middle of summer and in, in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, bear in mind that we got to these fresh all-time highs on the lightest equity trading volumes of the uh, since pre-COVID. So even though I'd say like actual market liquidity and market depth has like recovered significantly over this past six months, I'd say how we got here this week was on very light trading volumes. And just I guess that's just a very light risk being moved in general. I think if you, if you break down the, and the supply and demand for the stock market at the moment in terms of what we're seeing on the floor, like on the demand side, I'd, I'd note two kind of unusual sources of buying that might not be flagged as much in the mainstream. The first is these systematic or model-based strategies. Like we think over the next month or so, there's going to be $60 billion worth of buying of global equities from these type of accounts. And that's if volatility remains quite low, which it is at the moment. And the second one is companies are coming out of their buyback blackout windows after earnings. And that should also lift uh, purchases significantly you know, in the short to medium term as well. I guess on the other side of the coin, on the supply side, the equity market's taken down a record amount of supply and issuance in recent months, and even as recently as last week. That's subsiding right now as we're hitting the quietest weeks of the year for capital raising. So that's definitely helping us you know, reach these all-time highs as well. So if you add up these supply and demand drivers, and then you have you know, this continued Fed policy support, you have these lighter volumes at the moment, they all play into this final phase of retracement that we've seen over the past month or so. And i just take one even bigger step back in terms of supply and demand. There's about $5.5 trillion of cash on the sidelines. And that's going to increasingly look to equities, not just for growth like it always has, but increasingly just for income generation. That's just given bond yields are near zero. And fixed income returns can be deeply negative now once you adjust for you know, future in inflation. So this is like just a staggering number and it should just underpin the market more broadly over time. And just flipping finally to the fundamental side, I won't rehash David Coston's podcast from earlier this week. I recommend it to any of the listeners who missed it. But he spoke a lot about S&P concentration statistics here, which are you know, getting a lot of attention in the market. I'd say the stock operators on our trading floor are all noting that you know, these S&P 500 levels that we're reaching at the moment are very much off the back of half a dozen or so stocks. You know, they all have world-leading business models, but at the end of the day, they all benefit from this stay-at-home economy. They all trade at these high valuations given the location of interest rates and growth at the moment. This, this shouldn't change anytime soon, even if there is some like, rotation in sectors underneath the surface. So just to sum it up, I'd say, you know, it was funny, even though in the last bull market last year, it didn't feel like a classic bull market. This certainly doesn't. I'll just note that 30% of the S&P is still 20% off its highs. So I guess many are still reluctant to chase at these levels. You can list the fiscal risk that we have at the moment, election risk, growth risk. You've got the virus uncertainty still lingering. So I think it all adds up into cautious optimism on the trading floor. And, you know, despite that, I think you should hear the phrase all-time highs pretty frequently over the next six months. So I know it's very hard to generalize about clients, but you're talking to a lot of clients. What's the general feeling out there? Do they feel like they want to get in on this rally or do they think assets are overvalued and they're just looking to hedge whatever upside they want to capture? 
So I'd say in general, there's a degree of skepticism in the client base about the rally over the past week. And there's a little bit of a, okay, what now attitude as we wait for vaccines, wait to see whether GS's above consensus growth core materializes. There's also, you know, a lot of people looking at, you know, whether the success of the school reopening is going to come through. That's critical for the normalization of the economy. And we're also seeing a lot of clients wait for details on the fiscal support and the election, of course, at the end of the year as well. So to answer your question on whether clients think are overvalued, I wouldn't say overvaluation is the hesitation at all. Like the companies that are dragging the S&P higher here have strong fundamental cases. The valuation multiples aren't stretched, you know, just given current conditions. And clients generally agree with GS here. I would say that some of the client base has mentioned to me that they're a bit hesitant to chase these highs, just given the little volume that we've had over the past week. They think we'll test these highs, they'll pull back briefly, we might retest them a couple of times before we pull higher, and that's kind of playing out late this week as well. So I would also say that clients who didn't subscribe to the rally over the past five months are slowly, slowly being pulled in as well. Many are now realizing that the stock market isn't the economy itself. The two can perform quite differently, just given the concentration in the S&P. And then the fact that what's just happened in 2020 and going forward just accelerates these secular trends that have been in place for years. Another anecdote I'm hearing increasingly from clients in terms of how they're framing 2020 is that this is more akin to a natural disaster than what we saw in 0809, i.e. it's an extremely sharp you know, one-time drop in economic activity and earnings. But then we'll have a more rapid kind of progress towards normalization than what we saw in 09. It'll take years to fully heal. And I think everyone's cognizant of that, that there's going to be serious frictions. But I don't think clients think we're going to see you know, the messy deleveraging that we saw post-2009. And just finally, one extra point, I'll say that election risk continues to come on top of mind this week after the Democratic Convention. I'd say this is a slightly more in focus for the equity community than what we're seeing in the FX or fixed income community that I speak to. I think that the general rationale behind that is like corporate tax hikes, for example, might impact the S&P, but the impact on the broader US economy is more nuanced because those taxes will show up with higher fiscal spending elsewhere in the economy. So let's get a little bit beyond equities. We've talked about gold a bunch recently, but what's another asset class that's getting investor attention and why? Yeah, sure. I think yeah, gold's certainly been a major point of discussion with clients. I think the rally in it just incorporates so many important themes that are going to be important for risk assets over the next couple of years. I'd say outside of gold, but not unrelated, the asset class that's getting most attention right now would be real yields, inflation markets, long-end yields, that type of thing. I'd say in my 11 years at GS, I've rarely had as many questions from non-rates clients on what's happening in real yields and long-end rates and how they can take advantage of opportunities. But I think more importantly, they're worried about how can they protect themselves from scenarios like we saw in 2013, in the 2013 taper tantrum, where we got an uplift in yield without an accompanying increase in inflation and growth. We had a small taste of this over the past couple of weeks and even over the past 48 hours, and it spooked quite a few out there. I'll say there's some great opportunities in that space, but I think clients are just concerned that the sensitivity of stocks to long-end yields and real yields is as high as it's ever been. We're of the view that if you get this rise in yields, it's going to be accompanied by growth. So that should win out over time in terms of risk assets rallying. But I think it's still a risk that clients are paying attention to. And I'll just say, you know, aside from that, we're seeing, you know, an uptick in trades position around the election. We're seeing the weaker dollar theme is in full swing in our, in our client base. Commodity markets is still about positioning or whether it's positioned for a continued push higher in gold and silver. And then in credit markets, we're just seeing good demand for high yielding names catching up to the investment grade side. So you mentioned, you know, August is typically slow at the volume come down from its heights earlier, but has it been a typical August or not so much? I think it's been quieter. I'd say the, the volumes traded 
at the moment are the lowest since February in terms of S&P volume. So in recent days, we're about 30% lower than the three-month average. And for context, whenever you get, say, a 10% fall in volume from average, that's a decent drop. So this is three times like a slow day. I'd say there's similar drops in other you know, asset markets that we're seeing, but I would say that client engagement itself on macro themes is still extremely high. I'd say it's just been a busy year overall in terms of engaging clients on that side. I just think it's just a matter of time until volumes are back in swing. And I think post Labor Day, we'll see that. August is typically vacation time. What do you have on your agenda for this August? You find your family and track them down or? I think we're going to do an old fashioned American road trip. We're starting up in Glacier National Park in Montana. We're heading down through Yellowstone. We're hitting the Grand Tetons. We're going to go through Zion National Park across Monument Valley to Arches and Canyonlands, and then we're heading through the Rockies to Denver. So it's a pretty ambitious trip, but I think it's much needed. Car or RV? Car. Okay. That's good. <laughs> the climate appreciates that. Well, thanks for joining us today, Michael. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. That's all for this week's Markets Update on Exchange the Goldman Sachs. And in case you missed it, check out our other episode this week, which Michael referenced with David Costin of Goldman Sachs Research on his latest forecast for U.S. equities. Thanks for listening and hope everyone has a great and safe weekend. This podcast was recorded on Thursday, August 20th in the year 2020. Thank you. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.